Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about this episode is That Left Turn at Albuquerque by Scott Phillips, um, a author who we haven't had on the podcast either as a review or a reading for... It's probably going to be a couple hundred episodes yeah. or something at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. Whenever we were in Indianapolis is probably the last time, right? Yeah. So you're talking yeah. five years ago, maybe. About that. Yeah. Before we jump into telling you what this book is about, I'm going to give you a quick uh, bio of the author, Scott Phillips. He is a screenwriter, photographer, and the author of seven novels and numerous short stories. His best-selling debut novel, The Ice Harvest, was a New York Times notable book and was adapted as a major motion picture starring John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton. He won the California Book Award and was a finalist for the Edgar Award, the Hammett Prize, and the CWA Gold Dagger Award. I definitely read Gold Digger in my head. (laughs) Which is an entirely different that's award. A, that's a, yeah, that's a different <laughs> award. We'll cover that one next week. Uh, Scott, Scott was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas, and lived for many years in France. He now lives with his wife and daughter in St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, yes, he does. Um, we were invited to the book release party, and I'm kind of bummed yeah. um, that we didn't, we weren't able to go. It was kind of short, short notice, and I had work stuff and whatever, but... Um, Scott's a great guy. We've seen him read um, a few times now and uh, always fun. So see if this book um, holds up to what our expectations are of Scott Phillips. Here is the synopsis for that left turn at Albuquerque. Douglas Rigby, attorney at law, is bankrupt. He just sunk his last 200000 a clandestine loan from his last remaining client, former Big Shot TV exec Glenn Haskell, into a cocaine deal gone wrong. The lesson? Never trust anyone else with the dirty work. Desperate to get back on top, Rigby formulates an art forgery scheme involving one of Glenn's priceless paintings, a victimless crime. But for Rigby to pull this one off, he'll need to negotiate a whole cast of players with their own agendas, including his wife, his girlfriend, an embittered art forger, Glenn's resentful nurse, and the man's money-hungry nephew. One misstep, and it all falls apart. Will he be able to save his skin? Again, I didn't read the synopsis for this before I read the book, and I'm like, man, that's a lot farther than I was willing to go in talking about this book. <laughs> so yeah. I think our job is done. Thanks, whoever <laughs> wrote the synopsis for this book. That's the thing. Like, I did read the the synopsis before reading the book, so this time I was a little prepared for it. But, like, it's funny when you go in unaware and, and see what the, the synopsis decided to reveal, and it's like, oh, God. But, um... So I want to start off by saying um, we did review and really enjoy um, Scott's book Rake, um, which was about like an actor in France who ends up getting involved with a arms dealer's wife and then a bunch of stuff goes on. Really, really entertaining stuff. Um, Kind of that Hollywood dude trying to, you know, dip his toe into organized crime to probably disastrous effects. Anyway, love that book. And um have been kind of waiting on something, a follow-up from him, and Scott hasn't had any books out in the last few years. Um, so this is, it's exciting that we're back into a Scott Phillips book because that writing was just so, like, kind of quintessentially crime. Uh, it's obvious that it's a it's a, it's a a type of, of story that he's very comfortable writing. And the book starts off basically the way that the synopsis is talking about this uh, $200,000 clandestine loan um, he's, he's trying to invest some money that he maybe took without, uh, his, his, uh, client knowing about it. 
So uh, Rigby on a payphone sets up uh, a deal with someone and then it's kind of entertaining because he was advised uh, not to do the deal himself to have someone else do it so that there would be like um, some distance between him and the actual crime. So he finds someone that, you know, is a career criminal who he thinks, oh, this person's going to know what to do, gives him the money, tells him where the meetup is and everything. And uh, that guy, Billy, goes out uh, and meets up with the the people with the drugs who happen to be like a motorcycle gang. And it doesn't necessarily go according to plan. Yeah. So Rigby gets screwed while he's using, you know, while he's screwing someone else's uh, out of their money to, you know, one of those like wrong at every turn kind of situations. So he has to um, kind of figure out how he's going to get out of this. Um, the problem on the whole thing is, is he's already a little backstory. Rigby had a partner in the law firm who I think was really the brains of the operation, <laughs> like they carried it, who died. So eventually all of the clients left and he only has one client left. And that's a, a rich man by the name of Glenn Haskell. Um, he still keeps the, the practice going with this one client, mostly through the goodwill of his uh, former partner, his deceased partner's wife, who also happens to be his girlfriend. <laughs> so um, on, the, uh, on the home front, he's married and has some kids, but his wife's uh, real estate practice has taken kind of a nosedive, too. So they're really pretty down and out um, at this point. So he has to come up with a creative way to make back this money and hopefully some money on top of it. That's the, the, the thought was that he would borrow this money. He'd make a ton on this cocaine deal once in a lifetime opportunity. And that that would, you know, get his family flush and he wouldn't have to worry so much. Now he's still broke and out 200 grand. And if he loses his last client, there will be no more money coming in. The beauty of this book, before we get any further into the story is that there are no good people in this book, no good people of adult age in this book. Everybody has an angle, <laughs> um, which is really, really wonderful. Well, you get a book like this, you expect there to be one or two bad apples kind of trying to do things and taking advantage of good people. Nope, everybody's kind of a piece of shit in this book. So yeah, um, the, the idea comes along that Glenn Haskell, the rich client who is a former... Um, notes as Hollywood casting couch inventor, um, which is pretty <laughs> clever, but he's a guy who was responsible for a lot of TV shows through like the fifties and sixties. And, uh, um, definitely was, uh, probably the, um, inventor of, of me tooing, um, young actresses, um, has a painting that he wants to donate to, uh, the school that he went to. Um, so this guy is pretty old. He's in his nineties and, uh, uh, Rigby, along with Nina, the caretaker for Glenn Haskell, they hatch this scheme um, to f make a forgery of the painting, keep the real painting themselves and sell it and donate a, a fake painting to the school, essentially. Yeah, so enter a couple other characters. Um, Jerry Haskell is the um, relative of Glenn Haskell. Um, who is, I think he's kind of like the only living relative of Glenn Haskell. So he's set to inherit basically anything that um, Glenn uh, has when he dies. 
And so he's also kind of at the end of his rope as far as finances go and um, is basically just holding out for his, his uncle. He's just waiting for his uncle to go so he can, he can get that inheritance and kind of right the ship a little bit. So part of his interest in this story is um, because he wants the inheritance and he thinks it's kind of crazy that his, you know, uh, that Glenn's going to be donating a painting to a school. Um, he's, he's got a, a say in, in what happens with this painting as well. Um, uh, besides him, there's another character who is like a golf pro and, um, his involvement in the, in the story is he's, um, hooking up with Rigby's wife, Paula. Um, and he happens to have a grandfather who is a painter. And so he gets on their radar because they're trying to make fake paintings. So there's all of this, like, like Livia said, everybody's kind of got their own self-interest in the mix here. Um, as far as like, getting the money and and getting one over on everybody else uh and it's not a huge cast of characters but there was enough where like there was a lot of moving pieces at the same time and it's not like the snatch movie level of like you know like everybody's trying to get the one thing but it's it's got a lot of interested parties all at once the thing that kept occurring to me through um the course of reading this book is that it's only 288 pages which is uh, you know a relatively short book but how much and how many people are involved in this book that doesn't even you know touch the 300 page mark um like it's a it's a bigger book than the pages kind of account for yeah for sure yeah so uh it, it's a it's a the story is like rob said is I would say complicated but there are a lot of moving parts which is what you said i think that's probably the best way to put it uh, enough so that like i said i kept thinking like man there's an awful lot going on how is any of this going to get resolved by the end of this book but yet it it does and you know what i mean like yeah. in a good way it's i've read much longer books that have had less going on in them yeah and i think that's an um that's a testament to philip's ability to write just really tight um, stories. There's nothing extraneous in this book. Anything that goes on is either entertaining or directly related to what's happening in the plot. <laughs> because, I mean, you have to admit, like, one of the best things about this book is that it's just casual and fun. So uh, even though that there's there's elements of, of crime and bad things happening and it gets pretty dark at points, it's a really entertaining book that's a lot of fun. And, like, you get to see the quirks of individual characters and sometimes a random comeuppance or just, like, the way someone says something or an observation makes the book really entertaining and light, even though the 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 content of the book can be pretty um, kind of heavy. Yeah, I would have to agree. It's definitely, for me, I, and, and, you know, plot aside... I mean, it's very character driven. And uh, like I said yeah. before, one of the things that I really liked about this was how everybody had an angle in this book. I mean, everybody had something shady going on They're, Like I said, with the exception of like the children in the book were mentioned in <laughs> passing all everybody has some kind of angle and it's great. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it does harken back to just like thinking about the book rake Um like there was a lot going on in that book and it was probably 200 pages. I think he's just really good at writing really tight, really lean stories that like don't fluff things up too much. Um, and it was great. So um, 
one thing I found interesting about this, and and you know, not the only instance we've seen. Um, ah, his name eludes me, but the guy's got his own show from Breaking Bad. You know, the the sleazy lawyer. Um, oh, the you know Better Call Saul thing. Yes, Saul. Yeah, Saul Goodman, right? So, um, so it's not the first time we've seen a lawyer who's you know always kind of you know knee deep in in some kind of criminal activity. And again, mostly because I didn't read the synopsis, but I found it interesting that it's a crime book where the the main criminal, you know, air quotes, the main criminal is is a lawyer. Like I I, I guess I just expect that. Yeah. I expected a lifelong con man or you know some some guy who just got out of prison and is going to make the score of his life to be the main character. Nope, it's a it's an attorney, like a legit past the bar had clients, <laughs> like does law stuff. Attorney, that's that's the main character, which I found to be. You know, kind of interesting. Uh, going into just a little bit of, I, I earlier just kind of very broadly said that I thought that the story was very entertaining and fun. So I want to give an example of, of, and I think Livius will agree with me on this. Um, as we said early on, um, Rigby hires Billy to kind of be his bag man for this cocaine deal, which goes as as wrong as it could possibly go. But Billy, being kind of stupid, um, still thinks he's owed like the money he was going to get paid for doing this deal, even though he basically lost Rigby, um, his pay, his cocaine. (laughs) And so Billy's pissed at Rigby for not paying him his fee for doing the job that he just completely botched. Rigby obviously is pissed at Billy, um, for screwing everything up and costing him a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so there's this like kind of ridiculous standoff between the two of them where (laughs) Billy starts text messaging Rigby, like um in really poorly texted like all caps with like like you're is you are like that kind of thing um mm-hmm. threats about like you better give me my money and <laughs> it's just hilarious to watch like this complete fool not realize how poorly he messed up a situation and still feel entitled to his payout uh and then obviously completely justified the lawyer is like whoa fuck you buddy you owe me money so there's this, this back and forth that plays out throughout the book with those two characters um, that is just comical because it's so ridiculous um, and it's playing out. I, I would say pretty true to like if non-criminals started doing crime stuff. Like I feel like if I just started like doing weird drug deals and they went bad, this is how I would, you know, interact with the people who I was pissed off at because I just don't know what to do. Um, it's not, it just felt very like it, it hit close to home. Like this would be the, the, the shoddy criminal that I would be. See on the flip side, that just made me think of better off dead and, and the, the kid that uh, Cusack owns um, owes $2 to the paper oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of <laughs> that, that level of, of, but yeah, no, here's what I'll say about that. Yes. Very funny. And it was just a great side story that was right. going on. Like Rigby's like, all right, I've got a plan. I, I've got to come up with a plan. All right, I've got a plan to get all this back. And he's got kind of this annoying guy just bothering him a lot, which I thought was <laughs> was, was really amusing and entertaining. Yeah, it just injects like a, a feel into the to the story of like uh, absurdity amidst all of this like serious stuff. Yeah, I don't know how much else we can say about the book. I mean, you said it's tightly written. You are absolutely correct. Uh, um, there's there's not a lot of extraneous, uh, you know, information given to you or, or words. I mean, it, it's tight, and I I can't get over 
how long of a book you know what i mean it is at 288 sure. pages i'm I'm still just kind of taken aback at how much is crammed into such a small space i would and, say and well like it didn't feel like stuff was crammed in totally agree i would say that one thing i'd like to point out is that there is a very strong vein of infidelity <laughs> that's going on we may have mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit of earlier but like everybody's screwing everybody basically at some point um, even the bartender uh, woman who doesn't screw anybody is just obviously enamored by some people more than others. And like you could tell that if she had her way, she'd be going home with somebody. So there's a there's a lot of um, crisscrossing of romances going on in the book, which is entertaining, too, because like um, in some of them, uh, it's so obvious to um, like if if someone's stepping out on their wife, it's so obvious to the wife that she just like is is it's just a part of life. She's not even mad about it anymore. Uh, but the guy thinks he's like completely, he, you know, she's completely in the dark about it. So yep. yeah. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a strong presence and it's just really funny and it ties in nicely with um, Glenn Haskell's kind of every time he's talking in part of the book, he's talking about some like uh young actor, that was a con that was a conquest on his um casting couch at some point in his life mm-hmm. and there's just a whole lot of like hooking up going on i mean haskell obviously is also not a good guy but god damn it he's entertaining like there's so many entertaining characters in this book yeah cuz yeah he's he's got just little bits here and there and like the only thing it seems that he talks about is what girl he banged when which, if I was like 80 years old, that's pretty much what I would devolve to as well, I believe. Yeah, so keep listening, guys. Yeah. <laughs> eventually. 40 years from now, this is going to be an entirely different podcast. <laughs> For sure. So uh, um, I'm just going to go into into my wrap-up, if that's cool with you. Please. All right. So, uh, I, I mean, I think everyone knows where this is going. Hugely entertaining book. Um, fast-paced um, but so much going on uh, and and done well. I don't know that there are any real like loose threads. I'm pretty sure this all came together um, really cleanly. And it's like it's a crime novel that is so Rob mentioned. It's not like the movie Snatch, right? Because we've seen that movie and or stories like that a, a bunch of times where everyone's after the same. It's like a heist book. Um, this is not um, this is not that I mean. I don't know what genre of crime this would be, um, but it's definitely different than most of what's out there. For me, really, the characters are what drove it home. Um, really enjoyed uh, that everybody's a bad guy, uh, at least to some extent, although, again, most of them don't think they're a bad guy. They're just doing what they need to do. Um, this was a lot of fun, and my uh, my combined average rating on this, based on audience, characters, language, narrative, pace, personal score, plot, and tone came out to an 8.63. Not too shabby. I was thinking about that when I was doing my ratings, because a lot of my ratings were uh, in the individual categories, like eight out of 10, eight out of 10, almost all of them basically, except for my personal score being a 10 out of 10. And the reason is this, like, I don't think that you could ask for a better story than this without someone completely breaking the mold if that makes sense so i think the characters were like 
perfect but not earth shattering same with like the language the narrative everything was as good as you could expect it to be without being some sort of like like unexpected new step um i think the book was great like i said very light very entertaining it's obvious that scott phillips is just an excellent storyteller um he knows how to build compelling characters um and he keeps his his narrative super tight um so it carries you on throughout the story pretty much effortlessly i feel like i'm i sat down so i was reading this earlier than i usually start reading a book i sat down i read the first 25 percent, and i was like all right well i'll pick it up tomorrow the next day read 25 percent, and i was like all right well i'll just kind of keep this trend and i'll read it over four days and on the third night i accidentally read the whole second half so it's definitely a book that carries you through very easily keeps you entertained and um tells a great story and uh we didn't talk about it we're definitely not going to do spoilers for this because um i don't think that you know the story necessarily like uh justifies doing spoilers but the ending was something that i did not expect and for a, a story that is so um easy to follow and accessible i kind of expected you know the ending to go a certain way and the fact that he subverted those expectations just made it better so um i can't think of really anything to criticize about this book scott phillips just knocked it out of the park and um my overall score for this 8.25 for anybody who's not a mathematician and and i'm not so i'm glad that this document does this all for us <laughs> uh the average for that is an 8.4375 which i'm now checking to see we, we liked it better our- than elma yeah, it's uh, very different from The Deep, um, but has scored a little bit higher. Um, I think maybe Alma's, uh, Alma's book just lacked the word cornhole. Probably. Um, and that's <laughs> probably, I'm thinking, where the difference comes in. So I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not it. But This is our highest rated book of 2020. <sighs> you know, you say that when I look at the books that we have to read, I have some pretty high expectations. I, yeah. I just, I wonder... I wonder if and which one the first one will be to crack nine. That'll be the that'll be big. That'll be big. So <laughs> um, I like this so much better. So let's let's talk about the scoring system. We've got a few under our belt now. Um, I <clears throat> can't envision an average of ten for the two of us based on the scoring system, and I like that. If it happens, it happens. I mean, it happened, you know, with. Nadia Komenich in the Olympics in like the seventies, right? Like they didn't even know how to put up a 10 cause it had never happened before. <laughs> so it, it certainly could happen. I mean, if it happens, right. I have a feeling, I know which book it's going to be. And it's not coming up for a few months. Um, but I'm, I'm just excited to see if, and when someone cracks a nine. Yeah, this, and honestly, I didn't expect, uh, I, I didn't expect our new rating system to bring down the score, but I think that's kind of what it, did but in a more realistic way like um when we were just out of five like if we when we just had one rating and it was out of five you didn't have a lot of room to move around but with this you can really break down like the goods and the bads and have a more like solid like if you gave something a three and a half star review two years ago you'd feel kind of like bad about it but here if someone got you know just over seven you're like all right well um, this makes sense for these reasons. So yeah, it is a little bit more of an honest, uh, maybe true to life rating system. 
Can I tell you the one the one category that I think will keep us from a 10, <laughs> like forever? It's audience. Mm. It's audience because you have to get to the point for a 10, it would have to be universal appeal. Now, I'm going to I'm going to argue that. OK, so what if my interpretation was um, this book is the perfect book for this specific audience and therefore it's a 10? Which is fine. I'm just going based on our guide, which says, <laughs> is this the kind of book that anybody could pick up and enjoy? All right. So I'm yeah. thinking, so, like, <laughs> well, yeah, so I'm thinking painted like, myself into a corner on that sure. one. <laughs> so horror, right? Like not everybody enjoys horror. There are people who, you know, they have nightmares if they read scary books or, you know, they, they, they're afraid to be home alone. Not everybody enjoys books with sexual content in it. You know what I mean? There's a variety of cat. I'm not saying it's right. not possible. I'm just saying that that's the one because personal score, the plot can be perfect. The tone can be perfect language, but audience is tough, man. Yeah. I mean, especially because we do tend to read kind of genre specific books. Most of the stuff we read is a little darker. Most of it is crime, horror. There's been some kind of fantasy and sci-fi, um, some mainstream stuff. But by and large, it's it's a little more genre driven for us. Oh, well, you know, we can always... Uh... We can leave it how it is and just let everybody understand that they're probably not going to get a 10. Or we could always uh, take a, a look back and retool the system at some point and see if there's something that we can do to make it better. We could. Then do we have to retrofit scores too? Oh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> so... I'm saying right now, if we change our system, it's from yeah. then going forward. <sighs> can I... Uh... It's so cute to me how during this coronavirus epidemic authors think that people will read more and every time i see it i'm like oh that's so cute they think that if people are self-quarantined for a week or two that they're going to pick up and read more books instead of just watch more netflix are, are you on board with this i mean are you in agreement um yeah but i will say that i was victim to that exact thought um there was a moment where i was like Oh, everybody's going to be stuck at home. This is really the time to push our podcast so we can recommend books to people. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, fuck no. Even Livius is just going to be sitting around playing Call of Duty. That's right. Livius <laughs> is actually probably going to try to get I Livius is not getting out of work, unfortunately. But um, <clears throat> yes, there is some Call of Duty that needs to be played. Um, yeah. I uh, Oh, live, live. Breaking news. We have a, a request for a review. Should we do this? Over uh, on the podcast? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but sure. <clears throat> so uh, this just in. Paul oof, Lubazewski uh -oh. um, just sent an email. Greetings. My name is Paul. Unpronounceable last name. Lubazewski. I'm going with Lubazewski. Author of the horror comedy, I Never Eat Cheesesteak. And the Urban Horror, A New Life. My new novel, Cult of the Gator God, is coming out on April 28th on 5050 Press, which puts me on the publicity trail. And I was wondering if we could set something up. Uh, he did enclose an arc, although it is in PDF format. Um, I think we have to say no, since we're pretty much through June now, right? On the schedule? Yeah, we are. We are book salad. As much as cult, cult of the... <laughs> period solid um i just thought it was exciting because this never happens like while we're actually recording so usually i wake up to something like this from some fevered authors at three in the morning sending out requests or you know the 
the um, nice folks from the from the big five publishers that they keep sending us romantic comedies and stuff to to review. Here's what I will say: I opened up that PDF arc. Okay. It looks like the layout's pretty nice. Oh, all right. So are we doing this then? Let's see. <laughs> no. So we're gonna we're gonna review it. No, we're gonna review it right now. Oh, we're gonna read the book. Let's see how yeah. many pages it is. How many pages? It is two hundred pages. Oh, all right. Let's see. Let's see. Let's open with Drive, Call to the Gator God, Advanced Reader Copy, Not for Sale. Ooh, it's really dense. Yeah, but the the layout looks nice. It does look nice. I'm looking in the acknowledgments to see if there's anybody whose name I know. Like, how do we? How did this person find out about us? It's always an interesting question. Um, so I'm going to say, sorry, Paul, we have months of stuff coming up. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, Rob and I, it took us a solid half an hour just to put everything in, in a way that we can do it from now till the middle of June. Yeah. Um, but we did enjoy a nice, a nice, uh, nice cup of coffee. Rob had something weird. What did you, what did you have? Like the, the Dr. Pepper and milk, right? Wasn't it the Laverne <laughs> special? Uh, I had what's called a Dr. Hansa. Um, which is uh, cold brew coffee, Dr. Pepper, and vanilla. Uh, uh, yes. yes. Delicious. Yes. yes. So um, so sorry, Paul. But if you're interested, Cult of the Gator God is coming out um, in just about a month on 5050 Press. So uh, give uh, let us know what you think of that. Yeah. If you're somebody else read it. Tell us if we should read it. Yeah. There, we'll do that. We'll, we'll outsource this review to nope. somebody that can tell us if we should review it. I'm going to do it one better. Someone else read it. Decide we should review it, pledge ten dollars a month on Patreon, and then force us to review it. What a great idea that yeah. is! Paul could do this too. Paul, <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible idea. I don't think people should pay for reviews. It's a terrible idea, but it's still kind of funny. It is. Uh, it is very funny. So, <laughs> um, next week, which is going to be a little early, I know that a lot of you are thinking like oh what do i get them for their anniversary their nine year anniversary is coming up it's in like two weeks um we had to move up our anniversary episode a little bit so the next episode you'll hear will be a little early but it's gonna be our nine year anniversary episode um i say this um because if you're interested in getting yourself on the podcast if you have well wishes or anything along those lines you can phone them in like we do with uh, every third or fourth episode uh the phone number is uh 773 599-1057. Um, and you can call in and leave your well wishes for the podcast, fun messages, whatever. Um, we'll we'll go through them. We'll select some or all or whatever of them to be on the podcast. So I'll give you that number again. 773-599-1057. I will say that I know we don't give that number out very often, but the other thing that we had to do last wednesday was keep that number active by using it for something because <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> so um we'll post that in the book podcast listening group uh sometime this week too so if you're interested uh no one will answer that call it doesn't go to an actual phone um you'll just be able to leave a voicemail message uh and uh and you know wish uh, your favorite podcast uh good things or bad things or whatever can't wait till paul gets hold of that number and you know lights us up yeah, but uh, either way, you guys can use that number anytime for anything, really. So feel free. Uh, be sure when you're listening to the episode to have your booked 
anniversary episode bingo card out. You can see when uh, at some point we can mark off when we mentioned that Livius only expected us to go three episodes. Oh yeah. That's the part of the book podcast drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying we should do that. Okay. So we mm. should design a drinking game that we play while we're recording oh, this God. episode next week. It'd just be all the tropes of shit. Like uh, it used to, it used to be that we'd say there it is all the time. I know that was a that was the thing for a while. Yep, that was a staple. Livius not thinking we'd get past three episodes is definitely one of the most common. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree. Yeah, that's the thing though. It never changes. Like at no point am I gonna think have thought that we we're gonna <laughs> go to four episodes. So really, in perpetuity, it's always gonna be that three episode thing. That. Yeah. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lament podcasts that have come and gone um, during the our tenure here in Podcastville. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess the, bing- or the drinking game slash bingo option will also include wondering where they went. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> our guests and stuff. I already started, man. I started doing that. I looked up one of our one of our frequent contributors the other day to see if I could uh, if I could find out uh, what happened to him. And um, alas, I was unable to. Yeah. I, I was I was thinking lately, and this is probably just like stuff that we'll talk about on the um the actual anniversary episode, but like of some of the things that have like you said, come and gone in that time and it's a little bit it's a little freaky when you think about it. So maybe we'll we'll do a segment on things we've outlived. <laughs> that's yeah, that's <laughs> not like in a petty way, but like in a holy shit, I can't believe that happened way. Yeah, so if you want to listen to us be full of ourselves for, you know, an hour or so, that'll be uh that'll be our next episode. Yeah, and then honestly like Livius was mentioning before, we actually went to a physical location and sat down together and looked at a calendar and looked at the list of books and author interviews that we have locked in. This isn't even the ones that we were like hoping to do that fell through, but like just the ones that are locked in and either we have copies of the books in hand or we have days and times for the the interviews to happen Um, and it took us a while to just figure out how do we do all this in a way that we don't have to say no to something Um, so it's uh, it's nice that we're at a point where that's the kind of content we have coming in that we have like borderline too much but I'm going to tell you like at the beginning of last week I was or whenever after we had that meeting whenever that was I was pretty stressed out for the next couple of days because it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, I guess since we have some books in hand, I guess we can give listeners a little bit of preview of what's coming up. Do you think that's acceptable? Totally. All right. So although we do have some interviews confirmed and scheduled, um, I'm not going to talk about those, but I will give you um, some highlights of uh, what you can expect in the the upcoming week. So Providence by Max Berry, who very unfortunately, Fortunately, just canceled his U.S. tour earlier today. Um, we're really sorry to hear that. We were planning on going to see Max um, read in Chicago, but clearly that's not going to be happening. So maybe next time around. Um, but his book Providence will be reviewed here. The Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying, uh, also going to be Grady Hendrix, by the way, um, also going to be reviewed here shortly. Um, the Girl in the Video, which is Michael Wilson's uh, d- debut, right? It's his first his first novella. Uh, Am I no, getting that right? Yeah, no? he's had short stories published, I believe. Right, not... yeah, I think this is yeah. Yeah, his first standalone thing. So, 
Uh, the Bank by Bentley Little. So we're going into that horror category pretty deep there. Uh, Devolution by Max Brooks. Shakespeare for Squirrels by Christopher Moore. And the Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. And that's just into May where we may or may not have to take a hiatus. Right. Uh, not just from all the work, but also if we if our vacations don't get canceled because of the coronavirus. Yeah, so uh, middle of May, I'm supposed to be heading for Paris for a week, um, like pretty much right on my return. Rob was going to be heading for an East Coast trip, which included a stop at a pretty big book conference that we're not sure is going to happen. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but if that goes down, then we already have the backup plan for those weeks. So... We're, uh, we're really into it this year, and, and sprinkled throughout there will be some interviews. Yeah, there's – I'm not going to name names because like, they could always fall through, but there's two right now that I'm pretty excited about um, doing. Uh, there's several more that are in the negotiation process of figuring out days and times. So we're definitely ramping up our interview um, uh, workload, whatever you want to say for 2020. But here's what I'm going to say. This is an observation that I've been making to people who are talking to me about the podcast. Cause every now and then you get a coworker that's like, Oh, how's the, how's your blog? <laughs> and you're like, well, it's a podcast. <laughs> this is 2020. You shouldn't be making that mistake. Um, that, uh, the publishing industry is taking podcasts much more seriously in the last probably like year than it has in the eight. So we're basically eight years ahead of our time as far as yeah, like no kidding. being taken seriously by publishers. And so they're reaching out to us with like big names now, just because they're like, Oh, you have a podcast. This is the type of uh, exposure we're looking for. Um, for sure. Which is interesting. Um, <laughs> so podcasts are for people who like audio stuff, right? But people, it's harder to read. And there are people like you and myself who are not big fans of audiobooks, right? Like tougher to stay with, but you can listen to a podcast. We've had this conversation, right? right? Can I tell you today, so background for anybody maybe who isn't a long time listener, I work in a retail store, like in a retail store with people all the time. And I know that sounds uh, like, how the hell does he do that? Because he absolutely hates everybody and everything. That's all true. That's where um, the but I do comes manage from. to pull. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I do manage to to put on a facade that I'm a nice, friendly guy. Today, I go to approach this woman just to see if she needs any help. We are also getting um, hit with a lot of business due to um, working from home and and self quarantining and all that stuff. And I don't because I think she's on the speakerphone. I hear something coming from her shopping cart, which is something that people do in public all the time, which is maddening, right? Like someone talking Jesus. on a speakerphone yeah. in public, right? Yeah. Except that I realize that I'm hearing someone do like a really bad Russian accent. And I realize that this woman is listening to an audiobook in oh, public. On speaker? On speaker on her phone. Oh. Rob, she was in my store for over half an hour and that thing was going the whole time that's like three chapters maddening like i don't even know how she could follow because there's noises there's people pushing shopping carts there's conversations being had so i don't even know how she could follow yeah. what it is now i'm a lot like that too if i have to go in the grocery store for more than you know just to run in and out and grab something really quick i'll, I'll put on my headphones and either i'll listen to some music or i'll listen to whatever you know podcast i was last listening to where i have a bunch of downloaded youtube videos so if i'm like oh i'm gonna have to be here for half an hour i'll put in headphones and kind of do that thing where i just ignore everybody and listen to my stuff but i'm the only one that can hear it yeah this bitch <laughs> half an hour dude walking around playing 
and audiobook like i said i mean like shitty fake russian accents and you know someone trying to sound like a woman when clearly it's a guy reading it i mean it was just it was brutal wow she's like the entire world needs to hear this sue grafton book uh so at any rate, I guess a uh, pro tip, if you are listening to this podcast and you're in a grocery store or you're uh, somewhere out in public, put your fucking headphones on or turn this podcast off. So um, I will say that I do that exact same thing. If I'm shopping, I'm headphones in. Um, I recently got like I leveled up a little bit because I, I was using the AirPods when I recently got the AirPods Pro which are mm-hmm. noise canceling. So not only <laughs> am I listening to something, but I'm also cutting out all of the noise around me. So it is this like beautiful, like totally silent. The only thing I hear is, is my podcast as I'm walking around shopping. It's pretty great. When you say your podcast, you pretty much only listen to book, books, right? So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's literally it's my literally podcast. You listening to yourself in public. So, <laughs> <sighs> which means uh, when we were hanging out the other night, it was a lot like you just being by yourself because you were listening to the two of us talking only you were doing it live instead of some recorded it's, version. That's exactly right. I mean, I do, I, I will say like, I don't know if you do, but I do, I do listen to the podcast for like quality assurance purposes. Yeah. I don't know if you do. That's actually mostly what I do. When one posts, I'll usually hit like the YouTube link because I get notified in YouTube and I'll skip around a little bit or I'll make a mental note of like, hey, how did that come off? Like, you know what I mean? Like this conversation, I may go back and, you know, and try to find it and listen to this conversation about talking about listening to podcasts and I'll listen for a few minutes. I don't (laughs) typically listen to the whole thing. I I do full ups. Well, like, and especially interviews where it's like, how did, how well did like Alma Katsu, I've listened to Alma, excuse me, Katsu. I've listened to you a couple of times where I'm like, eh, what could we have done better? Like, how did that go? What dumbass question did I not need to ask? Like those types of things. I'll be honest. Sometimes for those, because you and I are communicating behind the scenes, I listen and I wind up catching things that I didn't catch because I was busy oh, researching yeah. something or typing something out to you where I'm like, oh, I don't. Did she say that? Oh, wow. I, I, I must have missed that the first time around. Well, now this is the part of the episode where we just talk about ourselves talking about things. So. There you go. Everybody's levels of inception. Yeah, well, as well they should. So (laughs) (laughs) that's really all I have. I know that we've got stuff for next week for the for the ninth anniversary episode. So um, again, we're doing it about a week early this time. Give us a call if you want to take a shot at being featured on the podcast. Um, And I don't, I don't have anything else. Rob, you Uh, shameless plug. Patreon.com/slash/booked. you know, support us even at a dollar a month. You get early access to episodes. Um, sometimes if I've got them edited like way in advance, you might get stuff a few days ahead of time, but you'll always have early access. Uh, you'll get access to our spoiler talks uh, where we kind of elaborate more on a book that we are reviewing. And um, yeah, at a certain level, $10 a month, you can actually tell us what book to, to read and review and maybe even join us for that review. So patreon.com slash booked and help a couple of brothers out. I was just looking to see, cause we have an interview coming up. That's going to be like a week ahead of it getting published. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, the gears are you turning. Get the idea on, you get the idea on that one. You may get one of our biggest interviews of the year. Um, four or five days early, maybe. Yeah. Who doesn't so, want that? I don't know. Who doesn't? So, all right. Um, that's it. 
I'm going to call it on this one. Come back <laughs> next week, ninth anniversary episode. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.